Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. I'm joined today by James Brunger, Chief Sales Officer at Capital Square. He's no stranger to the podcast. He's been on uh, once or twice before. James joins us today from Richmond, Virginia. James, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Jimmy. I'm doing great. Appreciate the opportunity to be back on. Absolutely. Well, always uh, happy having you here, James. And uh, it sounds like I might run into you at the Adisa conference in Las Vegas in uh, well, a c- couple weeks away now. So looking forward to, to seeing you out there. Um, but let's dive in today. Uh, it, you know, Let's talk about Capital Square first and foremost. James, you guys are one of the largest DST sponsors. You do a lot of Opportunity Zone deals as well. Um, can you give us at a high level, what's the update on Capital Square, what you're doing with your DST and your OZ and your, and your other real estate programs? Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. Um... And again, you know, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, at Adisa, we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary as a company. So uh, very excited about that. Um, Capital Square, you know, very fortunate. We're the third largest syndicator in 1031s. That's our bread and butter. That's what we've made our name for. Branched in Opportunity Zones right when the Opportunity Zone legislation came around. Fortunately, right behind me, this is our seventh Opportunity Zone fund. We generally raise single property uh, funds. Uh, so thank you to everybody who has already invested with us. Um, and yeah, this this project will end up being about a $40 million capitalization. So when you look at it all, um, our total equity raised in uh, Opportunity Zones will be over $300 million since uh, we started the program, which is great. Uh, amazing to see kind of what's going on there. From uh, Opportunity Zones, we've also branched into our core competency of development funds associated with multifamily programs, really kind of in our, our Southeast focus uh, markets, all the markets that we, we buy stabilized in where we see development opportunities, including non-OZ development opportunities. We've really been rolling out a lot of those programs. So uh, look forward to continuing to diversify our base. Uh, we are crossed now over 6.4 billion in total assets, uh, which is amazing. It's really been an incredible couple of years. And then this quarter now is our record quarter on total capital raise, um, which feel like every quarter we've been hitting records. So uh, thank you to everybody. Thanks to you know the entire industry as far as where we are today. Um, things have been going really well. And yeah, our OZ projects just thrilled with kind of where we've been on those and some of the things we've been able to accomplish. No, that's great, James. And uh, over $300 million raised for Opportunity Zones. If, if I heard you correctly, that's great. And I want to ask you more specifically about all of the different OZ projects that you've rolled out over the past few years. Uh, you, you just mentioned you're, you're on your seventh fund right now. Let's talk about that a little bit later on in the program, get, get the update on, on those projects a little bit later on. But first, I wanted to focus on macroeconomic trends. And let's start with interest rates, right? Um, we have big inflation in this country. And as a result, the Fed has increased interest rates several times over the last few months. They just, uh, I think it was just last week, they raised rates by another 75 basis points. So uh, interest rates on the rise and that impacts you guys. Uh, Of course, earlier this year, we were chatting 
uh, right before we hit the record button here, James, you were able to secure debt financing for below 3% in many cases just a few months ago, and now you're up above 5%. How has that rather sudden change in interest rates impacted your operations? Uh, Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's stunning. Um, Not necessarily the fact that they've tried, the Fed is trying to hit a neutral position, but the the pace at which it's really whipsawed the market. Uh, You know, you're looking today, yesterday, we touched over four on the 10-year treasury. Um, That's an almost 90 basis point rise in the last 30 days. So the market has reacted quickly. Uh, you know, to the Fed's moves. And what's that done, that, that's done for us? We're looking five, five and a half. We're modeling even 575 on future purchases. So especially in the core of the stabilized side for the DST programs, we haven't seen quite yet a blowout in cap rates. So there's still a lot of money, a lot of capital markets chasing good, high quality core stabilized multifamily. A lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, the inflation and in rents, which has been reported everywhere, has been exceptional. Um, we years ago had our economic advisor, Dr. Peter Linneman, write a white paper called The Golden Age of Multifamily Investing. Uh, he had positioned a 10-year trend line for uh, how we've had in the country a major underfunding and underbuilding for decades. So we were very short housing supply for a very long period of time. And then, you know, that that impacted the opportunity going forward on multifamily. We've seen that accelerate uh, in the last couple of years as housing still is just really very, very short. So that, that, that rise to interest rates is uh, obviously still impacting and really impacting where we're seeing tremendous value opportunity while the purchase market remains very tight for the best quality assets. So cap rates for 75.5, we're starting to see some purchasing come right around five and a quarter, but at interest rates at five and a quarter as well, or five, five, you're still a little bit of an aversion. So it's tough to find a ton of value in core or stabilized unless you're really in a high growth market. That's part of our general thesis, why we focus on higher growth Southeastern markets. um, And it's proven to be very good. I do miss the days here earlier this year, especially in the first quarter where we were at three, three and a quarter and buying at four caps. Um, Happy to buy five and a half, but uh, not happy to have interest rates at five and a half. Um, But what that's really done is just help us focus more on where there's uh, still tremendous value for those people willing to take a little more risk in the development side, both in the opportunity zone and also non-opportunity zone developments. We're still building uh, yield on costs six and a half, 675. So easily, you know, 15 to 25 base, uh, 25%, uh, you know, wide of where current cap rates are, even as they've expanded on your core or stabilized. Uh, great news is core material costs are coming down. Uh, lumber, just as an example, is down below pre-pandemic levels. So all of the kind of wild variation that we've had in supply chain and core materials costs are starting to stabilize. That makes development a lot easier to underwrite and take a really good look at where your risks are. Um, so we still see tremendous value. Uh, the core stabilized 1031 side has done very well, starting to see a little bit of slowdown until cap rates really expand out. Um, it's going to be really hard to derive you know, great value there. Um, and then on the, the stabilizer opportunistic side that you've get, or on the development and opportunistic side, specifically in OZs, 
uh, there's still a lot of, lot of good value there. Um, just longer time horizon, a little bit more risk as we always talk about, uh, but great tax advantages associated with the OZ program. For sure. Um, yeah, we'll talk about DSTs versus OZs a little bit later in the program as well. But sure. you know, if I'm hearing you correctly, just to kind of summarize, cap rate compression is slowing down. Maybe we've got some cap rate expansion happening down the road here at some point in time. But in the meantime, it's tough to get a lot of value out of stabilized assets, which is really where you're playing into with Delaware statutory trust investments, uh, just by the nature of the, the program. But still, you're seeing value in ground up development with with OZs. Did I get that right? You got it. As long as you have a longer term view, it, uh, that's where there's a lot more value right now. Yeah. Um, and two totally different types of investor profiles, oftentimes, and different time horizons with those types of investments. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. I don't want to give away too much, but uh, let, let, let's keep talking about current economic trends and, and market trends. Uh, let's turn to the stock market now. The market's down more than 20% this year. The Dow just a, a day or two ago hit a, um, a low um, from for, for this year. Uh, quite, quite a change compared to where we were the last couple of years. Um, coming out of the pandemic. Um, I think it was about mid 2020 was when uh, the bull market started really going again. And, and now it's all kind of taken a big nosedive over these last, uh, what I guess since the beginning of the year really was when it started turning down. So what that's resulted in is maybe you've got fewer investors with big gains. How are you handling that? How has that impacted your Opportunity Zone program? Do you, do you see fewer investors with gains coming to you? Is there, has there been a slowdown there at all? I, I definitely, it, it's off. Um, and yes, obviously it'd be obtuse to think that, you know, gains being eliminated by value are uh, not going to influence opportunities for people to defer and eliminate tax through the OZ programs. Uh, you know, for example, our, the raise that we're doing on the fund behind us, you know, we're averaging about two and a half million dollars a week uh, in previous times, we might have two programs going at any given time, and we might have averaged $6 million a week between the two programs. So we're off, uh, but we're not that far off. And what we're finding is there's still just a lot of people who have no idea the Opportunity Zones exist. Uh, there are a lot of gains, even at reduced value. As we all know, uh, people's preference is to look at what's happened in the recent past. Personally, my own accounts, I've stopped looking because the last week was really painful. <laughs> but if I'm objectively looking at it, I haven't betted gains from, you know, five, seven, eight, nine year holds that if I want to reposition my portfolio, um, I will have, I'll continue to have gains. Uh, I think that's true of a lot of people. So realistically, the short gains are gone. Uh, the, the shorter timeframes gains are gone, but there's still plenty of people who have very good long-term gain and in repositioning their portfolio uh, of stocks specifically, they should be able to continue to make investments. The last thing I'll say too, just like we're seeing in core stabilized you know, real estate, uh, where, where there's plenty of money continuing to chase high growth, high quality apartment buildings in our case, um, there is still a lot of private equity chasing good high growth or good profitable companies. Um, so on the private equity side, on the private side, we continue to see larger dollar opportunities associated with investments, opportunity zones. 
anybody who's on this, who's a business owner, um, you know, if you started your own business, your basis is likely zero. Uh, so even if you could have sold your company for three, four, eight, $10 million a couple of years ago, and now you sell it for $7 million, you still have a big gain problem. Uh, it's just a, uh, a, you know, something that's kind of shifted a little bit. Um, and so we still continue to see pretty good consistent baseline, but definitely off the tops. Um, as you know, too, just doing these, you know, podcasts, it's spreading the message in the opportunity zone that it, it's there. Uh, we still haven't reached anywhere near peak recognition that this is a great generational tax saving opportunity. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And uh, yeah, each episode we put out, I'm hoping we're taking one step forward to getting the word out there a little more. Uh, you mentioned uh, having a big gain problem if you um, if you sell your business at zero basis. Uh, it's a good problem to have, though. Uh, but it kind of leads me to my next question, which is, I don't know if you track this at all, James, but do you have any sense of where your investors' gains are coming from typically, and just looking at your OZ yeah. program right now, right? Because obviously your DST program, it's all real estate gains, but your OZ program, are, are they coming in a lot from sale of stock or is it more private business? And has that changed at all over time? Or maybe, maybe you've got some Bitcoin investors too with some some low basis Bitcoin gains we, or something like that. I don't we know. Actually, we did have a lot of Bitcoin investors uh, early on in our programs. Um, not surprisingly, since most people are coming to us from real estate positions, being known so well in the 1031 and the DST space, well more than 50% of our OZ gain investors are real estate sales. They're looking at opportunity zone for its investment profile over the complete tax deferral associated with the 1031. So uh, more and more of them uh, for us are electing to pay tax on a deferred basis through the OZ program in specific focus of, of hoping to achieve the potential return profile of uh, development. Um, so kind of as I alluded, there's a lot of value on a macro level in you know, the opportunistic development side. Just by the nature of Opportunity Zone, they're really build to core, right? So build, get that development value, and then hold through core, operate effectively on a really long basis. Uh, a lot of those investors for us, they like long-term real estate. They like the value in opportunistic development, and then obviously the benefits associated with OZ. Uh, you know, the, that leaves the other about 40% that is through stock and private gains. I would say just real rough numbers, probably 15% are actual liquid stock gains. And then I would say, you know, 30, 25, 30% are uh, from private asset sales. Um, you know, good tax advisors are really attuned to what we've got going on. So we've been very fortunate. Uh, you know, those firms, financial firms, RIAs that have a tax practice tied to them in some way, shape or form. They're the ones really pushing the envelope on making sure that they, they gain and specifically gain on business sales are, uh, you know, deferred in some way, shape or form. Uh, so that's good breakdown on kind of where we are. I would never expect it to change too much since we are known in the real estate space um, that, you know, the vast majority of our investors are still probably going to come to us with gain from real estate sales. No, that makes sense. And that's that's a good breakdown. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, James, uh, shifting gears here a little bit, wanted to talk with you about the potential legislative extension of the Opportunity Zones program. 
Uh, I, I've covered this extensively on and off on the podcast over the last several months since the legislation was first introduced in April. We're getting closer now to election day and, and the end of the year. Um, how does Capitol Square think about that OZ legislation as, as we head into uh, the fall season here? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, kind of like you, we've been staying very close to our member organizations, uh, our lobby, our lobby efforts. Being headquartered in Richmond, we're very fortunate that we actually get to participate in a lot of the actual physical lobby efforts uh, whenever we can. Uh, we spend a lot of time, obviously, on 1031, and then we spend a, a good deal of time on OZ as well. Um, what it sounds like, and I like this, it, it, first and foremost, for those of you, just to recap, I know you probably talked about it on another podcast, um, Senator Tim Scott and uh, Senator Cory Booker, the original uh, uh, folk, you know, leads on the legislation that created the Opportunity Zone as part of the Tax and Jobs Cut Act, they've um, written a uh, letter that they proposed earlier this year, an extension, as well as a couple other adjustments to the OZ program. Since it took a while for final legislation, final rulings to come across on OZs, the extension would defer, uh, change of the deferral period from 2026 to 2028. What it looks like to the best that we can tell, and again, from all of our lobby and uh, focus group efforts, is that um, it will likely be hitting the floor uh, for Congress, both uh, Senate likely first, since Senator Booker and Senator um, Scott are the leads. Uh, likely hit the Senate first and then, uh, you know, probably move on to the House after, uh, likely after the election and before the next Congress is seated. Um, so we do expect and have great hopes that that will come to pass before the end of the year. Uh, if anything, that really just extends, obviously, everybody's opportunity to take a look at where OCs fit well for them and where Opportunity Zone deferral fits well. Specifically for us on the development side, that will open up a whole new wave of programs. We really are focused on developing and stabilizing before taxes are due so that we can get a special distribution through cash out refinance out to our investors, help them pay the tax bill, right? You Provide the, cash. The, the, the one that's due in uh, early 27, right? Or, or early 27 is when it's due today. If it was due in early 29, that would really give us an opportunity to continue to look at other projects. Right. It may have a little bit longer of a window or an opportunity uh, to come to fruition, to come to stabilization. So uh, very focused on it, uh, but it looks like, you know, it's going to be a busy end of the year. And then hopefully the legislation will get on the floor. Um, ideally, just bipartisan support seems very strong. It has worked. Uh, you know better than I do how much money has been raised in OZs. Um, you know, having that, uh, I think, you know, and having a good track record that the program has actually worked should give everybody, all the legislators confidence that, you know, extending it actually will be a good thing. Yeah, that's the trick, right? Is getting getting uh, proof to the public and to Congress that this is a good program. It is working. And if they extend it, it's going to prolong the efforts and it's going to do more good for a longer period of time. So fingers crossed. Uh, it sounds like we're hearing a lot of the same things that you are, James. That That's kind of what I've heard as well, is that there is a good chance that it gets passed. It is supported in bipartisan fashion, and hopefully it happens uh, between Election Day and the end of the year, or at least before the next Congress is seated. Um, yeah. That would be that would be a tremendous outcome for the industry, of course. Uh, well, I want to get back to your Opportunity Zone projects, James, the, the Capitol Square 
QOFs. Um, could you review or walk us through sure. the different projects that I, you've rolled out over the past several years? And I relish the opportunity, actually, because we've had a massive amount of uh, success in what's gone on. Um, we started our first program, Raising Money, in 2019. Uh, our first opportunity zone is now gone, is, is fully stabilized, 100% leased, uh, 70 unit apartment building here in Richmond, Virginia, in a neighborhood called Scott's Edition, formerly industrial area, um, much needed housing in the area. Um, that was delivered. We refinanced and created a special distribution of 53% of the original equity out to our investors. So uh, successful, both for the investment and then obviously for the fact that we're bringing housing to the community. Uh, right next door was our second OZ fund. That is now 97% occupied uh, and we've hit stabilization. Refinance special distribution will be kicked out uh, next month, October for those investors. A little bit less on the total proceeds, just obviously some of the financing costs have gone up um, you know, associated with the rate, but the proceeds will be just under uh, 45% of the original investment as well. So to go from 2019 to people living in these opportunity zones to having the housing solutions and then also creating some success and now also quarterly distributions for our investors. Um, that's been great. Our, th our third one will be stabilized before the end of the year. Also here in Scott's edition, our, uh, it's called OZ5, but really our fourth project to deliver a partnership with Graystar on a big 350 unit project. That will deliver in November uh, of this year. Um, so, you know, big housing solutions, um, probably not stabilized until kind of June of next year, just based on velocity. It's hard, harder to get a 350 unit building full, uh, but it's a beautiful project, really gonna be a, a game changer for this neighborhood. I don't wanna say blighted neighborhood, it's just an old industrial neighborhood that didn't have anything pretty. Now it's got a couple of really pretty things in it. Um, and, you know, obviously for Richmond itself, the city, uh, providing, you know, a lot more housing solutions, which relieves pressure across the board, uh, on, you know, a lot of the housing, we're getting about 15,000 people a year moving to Richmond, uh, which is a lot when you look at general population trends and there's nowhere near enough housing. So it's great to be able to do as intended on the OCs. Uh, we've broken ground on a, uh, in Senator Scott's backyard, Charleston, uh, South Carolina. Uh, we broke ground in an apartment hotel concept on Upper King Street. Uh, King Street's on the peninsula of Charleston. It's kind of the, the, the street, if you will. Uh, Upper King Street has been the um, rougher end, so to speak, and kind of the undercapitalized end. Uh, revitalizing that side of the peninsula is helping some underserved communities. And so this hotel will bring in uh, apartment hotel will bring in some tourism, some dollars and some attention to kind of an under uh, focused on side of the community. Uh, really thrilled to be able to deliver there. We've got a nice shout out from Senator Scott, which is nice. Um, and, you know, it's working. Uh, he's been a big champion of, of Charleston specifically, but then obviously the state of South Carolina. Um, and then we broke ground on our, we have a 20 story, very large development in downtown Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, just on the South side of town. Um, again, it kind of is Raleigh has exploded and done exceptionally well. All of the growth has really been concentrated on the north side of town uh, and the north side of downtown, the state capital. 
So this is investing in a side of the community that has received very little capitalization. Uh, this project, we're excited, won't be delivered until 2026, uh, but we're really excited that it's getting going. And it's really a skyline defining uh, project as it'll be the tallest residential only tower in all of Raleigh. So, um, you know, bringing a little bit more focus in a very meaningful and impactful and visual way to uh, a side of Raleigh that, that has not benefited as equally as some of the other sides of Raleigh. So um, really cool, excited. Our seventh fund is back here in Richmond. Uh, and then uh, the 350 unit uh, in Scott's edition, uh, it's done exceptionally well. The demand for housing is almost insatiable. Um, so it, it should be a nice project to deliver. Um, we're aiming a slightly lower price point as well on all market rate, but uh, you know, having some kind of focus to make things a little more affordable is definitely something that still benefits both investors, but uh, realistically benefits the community. So um, that's a little bit more of the focus on this project. Uh, a number of other things in the mix, I'm not gonna mention them, uh, <laughs> but it's a nice recap on where we've been. And it's really exciting to see the OZ program motivated us to deliver housing solutions, which benefit in the long run. And it's amazing to see that it's worked and to be a part of, of and stand in these projects that are now, uh, you know, vibrant communities unto themselves, which, you know, really is why, why it was there. So exciting, exciting times. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how much housing have you created through your OZ program so far to date? Yeah. So at the end of this year, we'll have um, a just under 650 units delivered. Uh, so they're all kind of in leasing right now or fully leased up. Um, so yeah, pretty excited about that. Uh, total uh, build capitalization would be about a billion dollars. So 300 million of total equity investment turns to about a billion dollars total real estate value, um, which is you know a really great thing for a lot of people. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. It's been it's been neat to witness how we're kind of turning the pro uh, the turning the corner now on this opportunity zone program. I, I first started Opportunity DB and this podcast in 2018, and you know in 2018 and in 2019 and 2020, it was a lot of talk about here's how the program works, here's some of our models, here's our pipeline, here's what we're planning to do. Now you know we're looking back from 2022 and. Capital Square and, and other sponsors like Capital Square aren't, it's not just modeling and projections. It's actually, here's what we've done. Here's what we've built here. Okay. We're leased up. We're, we're cash flowing back to our investors. We're doing uh, refinance distributions to our investors. So it's actually, we're, we're, the marketplace has matured quite a bit and the, these fund programs are maturing quite a bit. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, this podcast uh, and, and James, you're one of the first to come on uh, so far to really recap what you have built and and how it's actually transforming some of these some of these neighborhoods that you're in. I'm hoping to kind of carry this on with with some future guests of mine. But James, appreciate you kind of kicking things off here and and yeah. uh, and and giving us a little bit of transparency into how the programs actually worked for you and 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 what good. Well, and, I mean, ideally, back on your legislative question, you know, mm -hmm. we use that in our lobby efforts to prove not only to, as you say, to with investors, and you know, the concept was hypothetical and is now real, um, but also obviously to prove to legislators uh, that an extension actually only increases the opportunity over time. 
I, as you know, I think you know this, I welcome competitors. Uh, and the reason why is because that will really truly lift the entire ideal of the programs to really capitalize undercapitalized communities. Of course. Um, and, you know, it'd be great to see that kind of disparity evened out a little bit as far as where capital is really moving. Yep. Uh, could not agree more. And I think <laughs> we are seeing plenty of that slowly but surely. Um, but let's 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 kind of wrap things up here in the next few minutes. I did want to ask you about Delaware Statutory Trust. We, we touched upon DSTs and OZs and some of the differences between those two different tax advantaged investment vehicles. How do you talk with your investors about those two different programs that you have? You guys are one of the largest DST sponsors in the country. Uh, it certainly helped you leverage your, your Opportunity Zone program and, and you've raised quite a bit of capital through your OZ program as well, but you've got investors probably coming to you sometimes they're not sure what to do. How do you talk with them about that? Yeah, I, I, great question. Um, I think you highlighted this earlier. It's really two different fundamental approaches to investing. Uh, 1031 has been around for 101 years now and is likely the greatest tax deferral vehicle uh, in the tax code. There really is nothing else like it. The nature of those investors are looking at more core stabilized income producing assets. That's the nature and the requirement associated with Delaware statutory trust as far as the organization, as well as 1031 legislation. There isn't an opportunity truly to, without very creative or very legal heavy ways, to look at development to fulfill 1031 exchange obligations uh, to continue tax deferral. Um, absolutely an incredible uh, vehicle for continuing tax deferral, wealth generation, and then frankly, value in, in real estate over time across the entire spectrum. Opportunity zones uh, are a great uh, generational tax saving opportunity. And I say saving because really it's just a deferral. Uh, the deferral though, which we've highlighted is an amazing benefit. And then obviously the complete elimination of any gains above that deferral is that generational tax saving opportunity that more and more people should look at. They, they don't study it quite as much as they should. Um, different profile of investor, though, because of the requirements on your basis requirements, the requirements on fulfilling the obligations associated with capitalizing investment projects in opportunity zones, it really, by nature, is going to be riskier because you're more opportunistic development focused, especially for us, your development and real estate focused along with that risk generally has a, a potential higher return profile obviously not guaranteed, but, um, you know, realistically, it's just a different investor focus. So our, our, our investors who have gained, we brought this up about 50%, our real estate gain, they, they have the opportunity to deferral, uh, to defer through 1031 exchange in our Del Delaware statutory trust program. They're choosing to not and look at a profile of investment associated with opportunity zones that might fit a little bit better for what they're focused on, willing to pay the tax on a deferral basis, but they want to take and accept some of that risk associated with the development opportunity. That, that's how we talk about it. it. It really is investor choice, if you will. Uh, if they're truly focused on maximizing tax deferral, there's nothing better than 1031. If they're truly focused on uh, a, a differentiated investment, potential investment return, they'll take a good look at the opportunity zones as well, just simply because of the, the nature of what we're doing. Yeah. And then if it's non-real estate gain that they have, if it's if it's stock or a private business sale, then 
Yeah, think, opportunity zone. Really, really looking at just opportunity zones there. Yeah. And I mean, it, that's where the best opportunity is associated with uh, expanding and continuing the expansion of opportunity zone investments. It's, uh, you know, it, 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 we're, we're getting up to tax harvesting here, you know, this year, uh, you know, everybody looks at tax loss or tax gain harvesting. In the past, most people don't tax gain harvest because they don't have anything to go into to help them out. Uh, they just offset with losses. Well, you know, if you have gains and you want to harvest gains, opportunity zones is an excellent opportunity for, forgive the pun, uh, for people to take a look at tax gain harvesting. And I think it's still very underutilized. Awesome. Well, uh, James, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, always insightful talking with you. If we have any of our listeners and viewers who are investors or advisors and they want to learn more about Capital Square, maybe talk to your team or talk to you, where can they go to learn more? Absolutely. Uh, great to always talk with you, Jimmy. Uh, our website, www.capitalsq. Uh, so Capital Square, Capital, you can Google it as well, but capitalsq.com. Uh, or financial advisors, you know, we work through intermediaries across the country. So any professional financial advisors, great resource. Uh, if they would like to learn more, obviously the best way to reach us is capitalsq.com. Uh, and then true to form, every single one of our offerings has my direct cell phone number, which I, one of these days I might try and switch, uh, but I love talking to people or filtering people uh, out to our team, anybody on our team at Capital Square uh, to answer questions, talk specifically about opportunity zones. Uh, would love the opportunity to do so. So uh, again, thank you, Jimmy. I hopefully see you sometime here in the near term as we bounce around the country at various conferences. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, for our listeners and viewers out there today, of course, as always, I will have show notes available on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there I'll have links to all of the resources that James and I discussed on today's episode. And please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes. James, thanks again, buddy. Take care, Jimmy. Be safe. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.